For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I absolutely love week one of the NFL, not just because we get, you know, actual real life games, but nothing makes you feel incredibly smart and an absolute idiot about a dozen times in the span of seven hours like week one of the NFL season. Today, we give you our instant reactions to 14 games, who stood out, who flopped, and dig beyond the box score to some things you might have missed along the way. John Daigle of 4 for 4, Hayden Winks, joined me obviously for the show. Daigle, your thoughts today? Some good football, other football <laughs> that we will discuss. Nonetheless, as you mentioned, week one, a lot to take in. Yes, so many lessons learned. We touched on that as, you know, a huge point of entry ahead of week one. And we have to kick it off with the game out West. Dolphins versus Chargers. Fantastic game. Dolphins end up pulling this one off 36, 34. I think it might've been to his best game of his career. He had the best play of his career. In my opinion, late in the game, Tyreek Hill was absolutely cooking the Chargers here. And this is after uh, probably one of two of his worst games of his career last year against the same defense. Tua steps up uh, into the pocket and launches an absolute dime to Tyreek Hill, who's wide open down the field. The way that they got Tyreek Hill open this game, besides Tyreek Hill looking like the best wide receiver in the NFL, was they kept getting him in motion. I thought that was a lot of fun. At the line of scrimmage, Tyreek Hill was like often running at full speed at these corners, and he was absolutely roasting them. Uh, Jalen Waddle had a couple splash plays, but really this was all Tyreek Hill. 14.7 expected points added from Tyreek Hill Ooh. alone. Uh, Tua, it was a 97th percentile total EPA game, and Tua was out was without a couple of uh, misfortunes himself. He really underthrew uh, to uh, Tyreek early in the game. He had a really kind of duck throw for an interception. There was a couple of bobbled snaps. They left some yardage and some points on the field, which is crazy to say because this game was just going, 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 going. Raheem Mostert scores uh, at the goal line there uh, to save his box score, but really we know what this offense is. If Tua can throw the ball over in the middle of the field on time with Tyreek Hill running after the catch, it's one of the most potent offenses in the league, and this was nothing but fireworks. Dave, before we line this up anymore, let's set it up by just outlining some stats. As Hayden mentioned, 466 passing yards for Tua, three touchdowns, one interception, 215 of those went to Tyreek for 11 receptions and two touchdowns himself on 15 targets. That left Jalen Waddle still getting a respectable four for 78 on five targets. And even Durham Smythe popping up who like Hayden, when I was watching out of the corner of my eye, some like really meaningful third and fourth mm -hmm. downs went in the direction of Durham Smythe. Braxton Berrios, River Craycraft, because that's what, you know, the coverage was dictating in those environments. Yeah, it seemed like everybody had some open space and the ball was getting distributed beyond Tyreek Hill, but really it was just Tyreek Hill. It was the 20th game ever NFL history where a wide receiver had 11 plus receptions, 214 yards and two touchdowns. He looked like the best offensive player in the NFL today. After they stumped Tua and Mike McDaniel in last year's matchup, and throwing over the intermediate level of the field, I really just thought the answer would be the running game and leaning yep. on Raheem Mostert. Mm 
But that was mm-hmm. clearly op- the opposite. Tua, at least in terms of the morning and afternoon games, finished second among all quarterbacks, only behind Derek Carr, surprisingly, and average air yards per attempt. And remember, he had his highest rate of downfield throws, 20 yards deep, last year in this game in Week 14. So just shocking to see that's where he succeeded in this one after they stumped them last year. It was exactly yep. what it was last year. Like when the offense was going, it was just like those balls going right over to the second layer and third layer. That's exactly what was happening. Raheem Mostert, he did play 46 of 62 snaps. He was the clear cut uh, number one. Devon Achin was a healthy inactive. He was a full participant before this game, but really it was Salvin Ahmed just mixing in. They very clearly trust Raheem Mostert, but it wasn't a balanced approach here. This was just putting the game in Tyreek into his hands. We talked so much this summer leading up until week one of, okay, the end of last year was so different for the Dolphins offense in comparison to the first eight, nine weeks of the season. And I think that left a sour taste in our mouth, to be honest with you, Hayden. And we thought maybe parts of the blueprint, the pieces of that were out uh, for other defenses to see since it happened multiple times. You know what I was thinking heading into, I don't know, maybe Thursday or Friday of this week was, should we really carry that over? You know, Mike McDaniel, as we saw heading into last year, was just running offenses and passing games in a different way than we've ever seen before. And then we are able to give him, you know, four months plus the summer to create something else that then allows again to to have 466 passing yards Mm -hmm. here in week one. Like, obviously, a coach of that caliber is going to be able to change things up. And in many ways, as as Daigle alluded to it, as you said, the counterpunch wasn't even necessary today. Like the Mm -hmm. overhand right was just hitting still over and over and over again, but in really interesting ways, as you said, those little tight motions or bunch sets to allow the free releases and sprints that Tyreek Hill got up to top speed because no one can keep up with him in that dynamic. Yep. And on the other side of the ball, I thought the Chargers offense was very impressive too. It was not in the way I was exactly expecting it, though it was what you and Colt McCoy were talked about on scheme it was a more balanced chargers offense they would change the tempo they would go with pretty fast tempo to uh, catch the dolphins off guard but 19 of the 35 series for the chargers started with a run so that's basically 50 50 historically that's been way more pass heavy the uh, chargers actually ran the ball very effectively here it wasn't just uh austin eckler either i thought that um, Joshua Kelly looked pretty good. I would say that Joshua Kelly is a must-add in all formats. He has a role right from the get-go because his offense is a little more balanced than expected. He looked good, definitely way ahead of Isaiah Spiller, something ever happened to Austin Eckler, but Eckler looked super explosive. Goal line touchdown still, still going to catch the ball out in space, but the explosive runs is going to really help the Chargers long-term. Obviously, heartbreaking loss and classic Chargers style here, but we had Justin Herbert with a quarterback sneak for a touchdown. He was throwing the ball all over the yard. Keenan Allen looked good in particular. He had a screen touchdown. Big Mike Williams left, probably missed about a quarter of the action. Uh, He was in the concussion protocol as well. And then the last note I had here was Gerald Everett was losing some snaps to Donald Parham. And then Quinton Johnson, he was still a part-time player playing behind Joshua Palmer despite Mike Williams' uh, injury. So really, this is just Eckler, Keenan, and Big Mike Williams, uh, along with Justin Herbert here. Dave, what questions do you have since, you know, you and I are both going to catch up on this game on Monday? I'm just really happy Herbert fell into the end zone with those five carries because if it weren't for that, as we know in fantasy football, just passing the ball, it's so hard to get there. That's why he was the QB 15 in points per game last year. Um, And even when you look at this one, it took that in order to him to be the QB Mm -hmm. five heading heading into the primetime games because – 
7.4 depth of target Hayden doesn't seem that encouraging considering we were all hoping Kellen Moore would change the entire scheme and allow him to go downfield more only one game, but a 6.7 depth of target last year. So not too dramatically increased. Yeah, we are playing Vic Fangio, the classic too high shell king here. Very so true. I, I would like to see it's it's hard to, to recap these games like using the broadcast angle versus the all 22, obviously. Um, but I will say the scheme change really was different formations, different tempos in the offense, running the ball more and running the ball effectively. So Kellen Moore, this Chargers offense did look different than the past chargers offenses had before i think it will be a very efficient offense but to your point daigle if we do lose a couple pass attempts per game because they're going to be a little more more balanced that's going to even make it harder for justin herbert to be in that truly elite category because the touch rushing touchdown was nice but we obviously aren't going to be expecting that every week a uh, couple points I wanted to make. As you said, Osnacker got 16 carries. Joshua Kelly also got 16 carries. Both went over 90 yards and got a touchdown. Uh, so much of the focus this offseason was on, on the explosive passes, but the explosive runs that Kellen Moore brings to the table, I think, was evident here mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. game number one. Again, Keen Allen led this with nine targets, six receptions, 76 yards, which you know pales in comparison to what Tyreek Hill did on the opposite side. But what we saw from CeeDee Lamb last year in the slot, Hayden, a getting a bit more vertical, being a matchup weapon. Did you kind of see a little bit of that same usage here with Keenan Allen, or is that something you're going to have to review with uh, all 22? Yeah, no, not really. The Keenan Allen got uh, brought down at the half-inch line for a touchdown. That would have really saved his day. But, yeah, and it, we also lost Mike Williams in a very key part in the second – or the, going into the, the end of the first half here as well. So we'll see if that changes the offense. But uh, Gerald Everett, I'm, I have some concerns with him. He was not a full-time player. I will also be looking towards week two and seeing the Dolphins target tree because 15 targets may seem like a lot, but that's a 34% target share in this game for Tyreek Hill, a team high mark. And remember, when he played 13 games of Tua last year, he reached a 32.5% target share. So it's actually just par for the course for mm -hmm. what he does for this offense. Meanwhile, Jalen Waddle in those 13 games had a 22.7% target share because no one else is catching the ball. Shurfield yeah. was next up last year with 9%. So if this is the case... Waddle obviously won't be 11% like he was in this game every single week, but if the targets are dispersed behind Tyreek Hill, mm -hmm. it's so much more concerning for Waddle because Hill doesn't go away. Two final points. No Toronto Armstead, but still no sacks on two. I think they pressured him about 13 times, but he did a really, really good job um, under pressure in this game, which might have been a weakness in the past. Like there was this mm -hmm. rollout to his left on the move, a dime that he threw. Like this was easily one of, if not the best to a tongue of Iloa game we have ever seen. And as you said, Quentin Johnson, rookie first round pick, just three targets, two receptions, nine yards, part-time player, even with Mike Williams in and out of this game being checked for a concussion. All right, now let's go to the AFC South where last year's winner, the Jacksonville Jaguars took on a rookie quarterback making his NFL debut. Jaguars versus Colts. A close one as well as we got to see the debut of Anthony Richardson. I know in this new format, Josh, I'm supposed to lead off with the score of the game, but I don't have the score of the game in front of me. So I'm just going to just going 31 21 Jaguars. 31 21 Jaguars. Thank you. I have all the notes though, because Calvin Ridley returned for Trevor Lawrence in this offense. Uh, 98 yards in the first half alone, a 34.4% target share, team high 11 targets, and looks spry. Y'all need to go back and watch his first touchdown reception from Trevor Lawrence because 
Ridley got the credit in the back of the end zone, but it was Lawrence who scrambled around, evaded pressure inside the pocket, ran to his left, and then bided the time to find Ridley in the back. It was an amazing play. But really what we were all looking for was what happens with Anthony Richardson? What is this offense going to be? And it was, as you expected, it was rough around the edges with a lot of running the ball and hoping for the best, making a couple plays here and there. Uh, Richardson's high completion rate is mostly due to having a very low depth of target. Even Michael Pittman's touchdown, 39 yards, his longest catch since week seven of the 2021 season was a screen pass that they just blocked well for. It really comes back to the Jaguars' offensive line struggling in this game for them. That's why they have so much volume. That's why they have so many plays because Trevor Lawrence was under duress the entire time. His interception actually came on his first real pressure of the day uh, when Tony Brown intercepted him. And then later, I'm sure y'all saw this play, yeah. uh, close game, third quarter, DeForest Buckner forced a fumble, which Tank Bigsby, Bigsby recovered. Bigsby, of course, a rookie. And the ball was moving forward. Trevor Lawrence's arm went forward. But Bigsby, of course, gets the ball, and then starts walking slowly back toward the lines of scrimmage, just holding it. And then Desire Franklin's the real hero here because he's the one who had the wherewithal to punch it out of Bigsby's hand right behind him and then scooped and scored the ball. The Colts did. So that's what brought them ahead of the Jaguars. Then in the fourth quarter, wrapping it up, Jaguars were stopped on two quarterback sneaks, turned the ball over on downs, eventually get the ball back. But we get back inside the five-yard line and – a notable usage of their running backs were Tank Bigsby getting both carries inside the five. Travis Etienne put the game away with four minutes remaining, a 26-yard run from outside of the red zone. But this is really how both players get there since that's what we were concerned with for fantasy. Bigsby inside the five-yard line, as rumored all offseason, and then Etienne getting a majority of the usage, especially in a game where Jermichael Hasty was, I believe, healthy scratched unless he was dealing with an injury during the preseason. So something to keep in mind moving forward. Hayden, we can take this two different ways. Do you want to start mm-hmm. in the Jaguars in as the winners, or do you want to talk through the Colts and all of, you know, Let's the, the Jaguars? Newness? Okay, so this Jaguar stuff is is really interesting to me, especially Tank Bigsby basically almost losing this game for them with some mm-hmm. really bad rookie mistakes, yet the team showing trust in him after both of those mistakes, still giving him the goal line carries. Uh, still, we know that Travis Etienne can barrel off a 26-yard touchdown when he runs into the back of his offensive line, bounces it outside, escapes a, a few ankle tackles, and takes off the end zone. But man, what I loved watching in this game, Hayden, is while we saw some of these really good pieces and coaching last year from the Jaguars, the one main difference this year can be Calvin Ridley because he came back and immediately in the first quarter looked like an alpha, finishing with 11 targets, 8 receptions, 101 yards, and a score. Yeah, and that's almost identically to what his preseason target share was and what he's capable of being. He's a 30% target share alpha wide receiver. He's going to be winning downfield as well. And I'm sure in a lot of these man coverage matchups, I'm sure Calvin really was the one to get the ball. I was looking at the uh, snap counts here, and I did notice that Travis Etienne, even though he lost that goal line carry because Jermichael Hasty was out, he still did run a route on 31 of the 36 dropbacks. So Etienne can still get there as an explosive rusher if he's going to play that much passing snaps, um, he's just not going to get nearly as many targets as somebody like Calvin Ridley, but five targets for Travis Etienne will make up for some of the lost goal line usage. If that continues. 
also outsnapped take Bigsby 11 to four on third down and ETN's five targets, 15.6% target share was his highest mark since last year. Played 12 games without James Robinson, never reached that mark. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about the rookie then. Anthony Richardson, 24 of 37, 223, one touchdown, one interception, did take four sacks. On top of that, 10 carries, 40 yards, one touchdown. Uh, I am looking at his passing chart right now. I mean, the man looks like he can't look left. I did. Did you notice it was this stat to actually, the right side? I actually did not notice that. No, that's wild. Shallow so, as you would expect. Yeah. So how how do he look? Wild. Like, did he make the same mistakes that we saw in the preseason? Was there any different usage? Obviously, the one touchdown, as you can see, was a thirty-nine yard screen to Michael Pittman, who took it the rest of the way. And his rushing touchdown was inside the five-yard line, which is certainly concerning because he had two carries inside the five. No four carries inside the 10 and three carries inside the five yard line. He's the one who just barreled forward and basically took it away from the running backs who were tough to play anyways. Uh, Even his interception in this game that, that really was costly at the end was that rookie mistake. It was that same preseason interception that was overblown against the bills because he tried to force a play and he just couldn't make it happen. Um, And I believe we'll probably get a lot of that, but nonetheless, the rushing yard still get him there. Uh, QB two on the week heading into the primetime games. Right behind Tua, I believe. You can correct yep. me on the Hayden if I'm wrong. But, yeah, the, again, the rushing yards is all we need here, and we got it. Yeah, that, that gives us the four every single week, doesn't it, Hayden? It does, but I'm also looking at a chance for a ceiling for someone like Michael Pittman because the Colts yep. ran 72 offensive plays for reference. That would have been the most in the league on average last year. So Michael Pittman uh, has 11 targets on the 37 attempts uh, for Anthony Richardson. He's, like, by far the best uh, player on on the offense in, in my opinion like Alec Pierce gets three targets I don't think Alec Pierce is very good uh, Josh Downs the rookie slot wide receiver looks like only three catch for 30 yards Michael Pittman's like a kind of do everything player and I'm sure that he was the one lining up on the right side going back to that chart Daigle want to ask you because you know everyone got really excited to take Michael Pittman in round three of last year then he face planted now we were able to get him in round six or round seven as wide receiver 39. And because of that, he's in the discussion for every single person's flex play moving forward. Um, I don't want to ask you to extrapolate week one until week 17, but was the usage there that you can at least, you know, get feel comfortable with putting Michael Pittman in your lineup, or is that going to be a bit more varied each week? Team high 11 targets is certainly, especially since, as we mentioned, with screen passes, concerted targets, uh, they are trying to use him. That's certainly more encouraging than last year and leading the league in curl routes. So, sure. Yeah, a flex option every week with high volume, I'll take it. But that's so different than someone like Alec Pierce, who people expected to take a, a, a leap this year in, in this game. You know, just three targets, one reception, five yards. I'm sure Josh Downs had some moments. He had a whopping seven targets in the slot there. But we know that things can be capped if you're solely a slot player. One quick question I did want to ask you, Daigle, about Christian Kirk, because he's another one of these guys who last year was a featured part of this <clears> offense. And then this, in this game, when people might have started him as their wide receiver three or wide receiver four, just three targets for one reception and nine yards. And once again, gets very much outplayed by my guys, A. Jones. Heavy 11 personnel, as we expected with the arrival of Calvin Ridley. And that's just it. I still think it's going to be wonky week to week, like it was last year. Christian Kirk leads Zay Jones in targets. 
before the Jaguars buy. They return. Zay Jones leads in targets, helps take down best ball leagues in week 17 with its explosion. Um, and that's what we saw right here was Zay Jones even had a toe-tapping touchdown in the corner of the end zone. It was an amazing play, yeah. So I bet it's week-to-week and just frustrating and start-sit leagues for everyone. And in this case, it was Zay Jones with no real rhyme or reason just yet unless we move on and figure out Colts are somehow strong up the middle of the field. I will say, I think it's going to be volatile behind Calvin Ridley. I think Calvin Ridley is going to be a locked in top 10 fantasy wide receiver with a chance to be even higher than that. I think that Kirk and Zay will battle for explosive plays, both of them capable of doing that, but the volume is not going to be their same thing with Evan Ingram. Final question. We heard that potentially Jonathan Taylor can be, uh, taken not taken off the pup list but passes physical right he's still on the pup mm-hmm. list for the next three games uh evan hall left this game very early on daigle can anyone search for any running back help in this Colts backfield anything if you're desperate given that who knows how many players will actually be playing football in a couple weeks after today uh Deion jackson has now played over 50 percent of snaps in five games going back to last year he's at including today and he's averaging a 15 and a half percent target share and ppr leagues that's a plug and play flex option if you're very desperate all right, here we go. An AFC-NFC matchup between two of the most winning franchises of the last, I don't know, two decades. Eagles versus Patriots. Love the voiceovers. Eagles win this one in a nail-biter in the end, 25-20. to 20, Really from the New England Patriots spotting them 16 points to open this game. A rough Mac Jones pick six out the outstretched hands and fingertips of Kendrick Bourne return for a touchdown. And then Jordan Davis early on in his second season makes a great play, a strip of Ezekiel Elliott for a fumble. But since and after that, the Eagles offense totally stalled out. I mean, they went on four straight three and outs. Then they had drives of 11 plays, 10 plays, seven plays, all ending in field goals outside of the 30-yard line. Sure, there was weather, it was rain, but really when we got to the second half, the man that was throwing the football way better than Jalen Hurts, who finished 22 of 33, 170, and one touchdown, was Mac Jones, who was forced to throw the ball 35 times completions, 54 attempts, 316 yards, and three scores. I will quickly answer the question of what the hell happened in this Eagles backfield which as a team, they carried the ball 25 times with Jalen Hurts owning nine of those. It was all Kenny Gainwell to start out. I know that people might want to hear that. They might not want to hear that. But in the opening drive, I think Kenny Gainwell touched the ball six to eight times. And in the end of the day, DeAndre Swift just gets one carry and two targets. And it looks like only 19 snaps for DeAndre Swift. Boston Scott only had eight snaps. So it was, like you said, all Kenneth Gainwell. I'm curious if they're going to go to Rashad Penny now that DeAndre Swift had a pretty rough game and they weren't using him or if like the Eagles are just going to abandon the run completely here and just like put that all on Jalen Hurts plate. We've seen them do that in chunks. That obviously would be fantastic news for Devonta Smith and AJ Brown. Did you notice anything from Gainwell or Swift on the touches that they got? Just nothing really. No, nothing was too explosive. I mean, look, Kenneth Gainwell had a long carry of 16 yards. Boston Scott had a long carry on his only one of three yards. Kenneth Gainwell did catch four passes. Maybe they were more dump offs, but like it, there was nothing different about this mm-hmm. usage other than because I don't think we got anything inside of the five yard line with this team. So we still don't know who inside the 10 yard line is taking over that quote unquote Miles Sanders role. Like nobody. 
and it's probably nobody. We did see like, I, I, I am honestly stunned, Daigle, that we didn't get more DeAndre Swift here. Maybe that does happen as we go along, but it does make sense even dating back to the first preseason game when the two dudes that were set out because they were returning to the team were Kenneth Gainwell and Boston Scott. And here we are after week one, the two dudes who have some money in the bank in the organization are the ones who are, quote unquote, at least getting the most snaps in the backfield. 82% of Philadelphia's backfield touches for any running back would be wild. But yes, it is Kenneth Gainwell who won week one. That is elite usage. That is Josh Jacobs usage. Uh, so I will be interested to see if Rashad Penny, as you mentioned, is active next week and what that means for Swift altogether. Remember, this is kind of the game we are playing over the offseason. It doesn't mean anything. It's only week one. There's no victory lapping. But they, Howie Roseman basically got Swift for free. And yep. understanding that if he walks, if he does not resign with Philadelphia next offseason, they get a fourth round compensatory pick in return for trading for him. It's just business. Yeah. Um, on the Patriots end, I was stunned with how much Ezekiel Elliott played. I mean, yeah. usage early on was wild. Zeke was in there immediately and often, even after having that fumble. And look, we can look at Ramondre Stevenson at the end of the day, having 12 carries for 25 yards. At the end of the day, having six targets, six receptions, 64. But the vast majority of that was in the third and fourth quarters when this team was trying to climb and claw back, which they very nearly did. And Mondre, to his credit, when they almost won the game towards the end, was the one who was converting these very important third and fourth downs. I, I just was shocked that heading into this game, the mindset of this team was to feature Ezekiel Elliott this much because they certainly were not forced into it. I'm looking at a PFF has Zeke with only one pass block reminder with nine of them. So it wasn't like that role. They were just like choosing to use Zeke. So I'm not sure if that was part of the illness. Ramondre was like uh, limited in practice DNP uh, last Friday with an illness. Uh, usually players play without uh, any designation with the illnesses. So we'll have to check on that. The other player I noticed that did not play as much was Juju. Yeah. Late in the game, they basically benched him. Was there like any injury reports or anything like that? We had the Albert Breer report like going into this game that uh, his knee is a mess. But I mean, yeah. Kayshawn Booty, who looked <laughs> booty, uh, <laughs> was playing over Juju straight up. Yeah. Well, there was a third and five drop early on where they got Juju wide open out of a bunch set. And again, he just failed the conversion. And that was when they were, again, trailing in this game and that would have kept him in it closer in the first half and look if that happens maybe things change in the second half but uh i mean kendrick Bourne just totally outplayed him man like totally outplayed him kendrick Bourne at the end of the day 11 targets six receptions 64 yards two touchdowns these were beautiful passes they were getting these bunch sets and you know forcing some defenders to run off and then forcing safeties to roll down. And then Kendrick Bourne would get into that open area of the field. And also Hunter Henry was much more of a focal point than Juju Smith-Schuster was because what he did with, if we can say his, you know, veteran experience, if we can point to one weakness on this Philadelphia team at every single level of their roster, it's their linebacker groups, right? It's the middle of the field stuff. And for long periods of time, it was Nicobe Dean and Zach Cunningham and even Dean left and Reed Blankenship left, left for a little bit of time. And Hunter Henry was just dominating the middle of the field stuff. So hopefully, you know, next week's Patriots offense and Bill O'Brien can dial up what they did in the third and fourth quarter this year or this week into next week's first and second quarter because whatever they figured out, it was really, really working. Dago, I just I hate to say this, but 
Hunter Henry right now is the tight end one on the week. <laughs> do, you, at, do you hate to say it or do you love to say it? I, no, he loves personally, it. I love to say this. He had yeah. 56 yards. That's leading the position right now. He had six targets. Hunter Henry right now is close to being a top 12 tight end looking into next week. Because Juju, I think that, I think this is probably knee related. Um, because they, they gave him a lot of money to pull him in week yep. one. That would be really rare, which is not good news for Juju. I think it might be Kendrick Bourne and Hunter Henry leading this team. And then we'll learn if uh, Devontae Parker, who missed the game with a knee injury, is going to battle back. But Hunter Henry, I think, has a chance to sneak up. It is still wild when you look at the box score. Like even Booty, as you mentioned, 94% route rate. Uh, zero targets, of course, because he is who he is. But 94% route rate, and this team nearly was driving to defeat the Eagles at the yeah. very end. Uh, I do not know, understand it whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want to get too nervous about this Eagles offense um, because, again, this is Bill Belichick. It's Gerard Mayo. It's Steve Belichick. Christian Gonzalez had an awesome, like, fourth and three disruption on Devontae Smith. They were sending blitzes from a bunch of varying places. but And also on the Patriots end, man, we knew that they were having questions about their offensive line heading into the season. And then prior to the game, Cole Strange, their starting guard, and Michael Unwinwu is also – missing for this game like that is massive for a team that as our offensive line is gone their offense has gone in, in recent years too would you say there's a big difference between bill o'brien and matt patricia from this game <laughs> i would say so i'd say pretty stark quickly i mean again this just backs up potential late round tight ends dallas goddard finishes with the goose egg a total zero on one target he was open in some other avenues but once you get to that middle area of the field man or middle area of the drafts Taking stabs in the later rounds. Okay, let's head out west to one of the biggest upsets here already of week one. I certainly didn't see it coming. Rams versus Seahawks. Uh, I don't have this. No, I do have the score. Rams defeated the Seahawks. I would have to get used to that in the notes for the new show, by the way. 30 to 13. Yes. You heard that correctly. And like you, Josh, I didn't see it coming either. Let's start with the headline here. There's a lot to discuss, but the headline, only Alan Hearns and Puka Nakua, the only wide receivers drafted in the fifth round on to debut with 100 receiving yards. Nakua today, 15 targets, 40.5% target share. One of only two receivers before the primetime games to average a 40% target share. And film, evidence that he's good. Beat Tariq Woolen multiple times, slant routes and deep. His day could have been even better, but Matthew Stafford overthrew him on what would have been a 40-yard touchdown while he was wide open, a yard and a half of separation downfield. The most shocking thing, in my opinion, not only that Matthew Stafford, if you want to get the passing chart ready for everyone watching the video, yep. was slinging it and at full health. Arm strength and all, moving around the pocket, looked like he did just two years ago. But also, in the first half, the keys really were both starting tackles, Abe Lucas and Charles Cross. Cross, who was carted off with a toe injury, both out for the last two quarters. And then we saw in the last two quarters, Seattle totaled three yards of offense and recorded one first down. Meanwhile, wow. on the other side of the ball, as much fun as we made of their defense, and that happened in the second half, we also riddled, I'm looking for a word, riled, uh, were negative against the Rams' offensive line. Rips. And Thank you. And Stafford in this game, no sacks, no hits. Wow. After eating so we did this with the Dolphins and we did it with the Rams. 
after taking 24 sacks in only nine games last year, I believe, so we all heard the rumors like Rams tanking. This is what they're preparing for and everything. And maybe that's the case. Maybe they are still a bottom five team in the NFL and we're overreacting to week one. But obviously, Sean McFay, Aaron Donald, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup all returned. Otherwise, they all walk away at the same time. And I think they returned because somehow, I still don't know how they're going to do it with this defense, but somehow they believe they can fight and compete. And today, at least, they absolutely fought and compete and looked incredible. Yeah, I was super encouraged from the snaps I saw of Matthew Stafford's mobility, man. Like, he looked nimble out there. He was stepping in the pocket. He looked comfortable out there. And I agree with you. McVay is a psycho. And when he wants to ball out and play Madden, he's going to do that. I will say, Puka is somebody that's definitely on my radar. They were using him in a lot of the ways that they were using Cooper Cup. You see all these in-breaking routes from both sides, kind of in these bunch sets closer to the uh, line of scrimmage or to the offensive line. Man, that is super encouraging stuff. He had a very interesting prospect profile, but this gets me super encouraged for Cooper Cup, hopefully in like five weeks, like when he comes back of, off injured reserve. I mean, Cooper Cup, this is like the like yeah. the evidence that we're talking about, like the theory of Cooper Cup later in the season. So if you're uh, in the league and the Cooper Cup team's 0-3, I would consider trading for him as long as this Rams offense looks the way it does because this is ready for some fantasy points. Yeah, I mean, he would have had 10 receptions and 119 yards today as well on 15 targets, if not more than that. Um, there, were still, there were still some blips on the radar too, like just a fifth round Puka finding his way in the NFL. For sure. Like sometimes, sometimes he'd run past the pocket in a zone and Stafford would throw the ball and he'd be behind him. Little Got things it. like that, he's still working out. But dude, to debut with this, to earn those targets, it was so impressive. Okay, I have a bunch of other questions because it wasn't just him. It was Tutu Atwell, who's been almost a total zero in the league. Let's be honest, since he's walked yes. into it. Uh, eight targets, six receptions, 119 yards. That you know, is so much larger than some veterans that we expected to inherit some of the target share. And Tyler Higby, three for 49, and Van Jefferson, just four for 24. I imagine whenever we get all the motion data and what play data overnight, that it will show 2-2 was in motion, like as one of the highest rates of any player in the entire league, constantly swinging back and forth behind the line of scrimmage. But it weren't, it wasn't just concerted shallow targets. They were still getting him open deep, still running him on post routes. And he had a couple really big catches in this game. Could have had an even more explosive performance, honestly. So it probably just comes down to Seattle's defense, at least in this one, being a little shaky. Uh, Devin Witherspoon, we are thinking we'll be at full help in the coming weeks. So it'll get a little better. Jamal Adams will probably get back soon, although he's an in-the-box player. But nonetheless, it was just a lot of holes out deep in this one. Question. Yep. Is Cam Akers a dead zone back? Drafted in the seventh round, early parts of it, running back 25. He gets the last touchdown of the entire team. Meanwhile, prior to that, Kyron Williams goes 15 carries, 52, two scores. Again, Cam Akers, 22 carries, 29 yards, and a score. Kyron Williams also gets two targets. Is this just a total split backfield? No, the blowout will be kind to Cam Akers because he only had four snaps in the first half. It was all wow. Kyron Williams. And then in the fourth quarter is really when Cam Akers did most of his damage and carry. So I think Terrifying. Kyron Williams is the guy we are absolutely higher on moving forward, which I, you know, Jordan Rodrigue and a couple other intelligent beat writers were on top of this in, in training camp. I chose to not believe it. And here I am. Uh, without Kyron Williams in the last round. Cam Akers had four routes on 41 dropbacks. So wow. that's that's basically what Kyron Williams is going to hey, do. So. A year ago at this time, 
Sean McVay yes. wanted to play Kyron Williams over Cam Akers, and then Kyron Williams gets hurt on the opening kickoff. So just yep. 365 days later, we get this. Fascinating. Okay. We know we have a bunch of running back injuries. He is definitely a name to keep in mind. What the hell happened on the Seahawks end of this? I mean, this was one of the most high-powered offenses. We know that they lost both their tackles. Charles Cross, as you said, what, carted off with a toe injury, mm -hmm. I believe. Um, DK Metcalf had an awesome touchdown. But after that, man, it's pitiful stuff. 112 total passing yards, 85 total rushing yards. What gives? And after that touchdown, really just signaled the end of the offense. Maybe it was because Geno Smith was under pressure and missing both tackles. But honestly, could not get anything going whatsoever. No sign of Zach Charbonnet, who only had three touches altogether in this game behind Ken Walker, who had five targets tied for the team league with JSN and DK Metcalf. Tyler Lockett, like a lot of players today, also suffered a head injury, sat on the side for a bit. I thought he was going to be out, missed a nearly a full quarter, and then came back. Even then, though, even though he was able to return, still ran eight more routes than JSN in this game. Uh, just, just a letdown, honestly, despite what we saw in the first half, thinking that they were going to be able to move the ball with ease. I'm looking at the PFF grades. The backup tackles for the Seahawks had a 32 PFF grade. The other one had a 41.8 grade. And I'm looking at Damian Lewis, who's a guard, kind of a, a run-blocking guard. He had a 0.0, .0 PFF grade. He, he allowed four pressures in this game. So it was, must have been a lot of pressure, which is crazy given the Rams' defense, man. Yeah, I mean, there was a period of time. Geno's offensive line was Stone Forsyth, Damian Lewis, Evan Brown, Phil Haynes, and Jack Curran. That's tough. That's like the Rams That's offensive rough. line from last year. Okay. Um, let's stick in the AFC and Hayden. Let's go on over to a debut of a new offense and a debut of a new quarterback. Texans versus Ravens. This was a very up and down game for Baltimore. We should start with JK Dobbins who tore his Achilles. He was basically not coming off the field. He looked like somebody that wow. had a chance to be, a league winner here, but he goes down near the end zone, comes out with a torn Achilles behind him. We have a little bit of a split backfield. Gus Edwards, he has a role, obviously, as the power back. And then Justice Hill is going to be out there playing some of the passing downs. I do think it will be those two splitting work in very defined roles. Uh, for Lamar Jackson, it was not a clean game, despite them winning 25 to 9. He had a fumble. His average depth of target was only five yards down the field we saw some splash plays from everybody i thought that odell beckham had a really nice over the shoulder catch uh zay flowers he was the true number one in this offense it was not in the traditional ways that a number one wide receiver wins but they seem so dedicated to get him the ball in space like you said with tutu out well you're gonna see him in motion a lot you're gonna see him uh screen games he also was winning like legit routes he got locked up once they would give him an end around they would do all that fun stuff i thought rashad bateman he had a few targets early on. He was out there as the number three receiver. He ran 20 of 34 routes. The other two, Odell and Zay, were close to full-time players there. Isaiah Likely, everyone's favorite streamer, not ours. He was out there, full-time participant, but it's a lot harder to earn a target when you're operating with guys like Zay Flowers, who's a focal point of the offense. And I think that Bateman and Odell, they, they won't have consistency in this offense, but they look the part to me on tape. So I think they have to clean this thing up. Uh, the Texans defense played fine at spots, but the really thing, the, the hard part for the Ravens moving forward, Ronnie uh, Staley, their left tackle, he left early in the game 
center Tyler Linderbaum. He got rolled up on, looked like a knee or ankle injury. And then obviously with J.K. Dobbins. So that's three pretty key players for Baltimore. And this has just been a really rough string of injuries for like the last half decade. Uh, I think Lamar Jackson will play better once his offense starts to click. Uh, it was not perfect, but they walk with a win. And even you, uh, Marcus Williams at safety tears his peck. Um, and that's in a game Marlon Humphrey was already out. Yeah, oof. it's uh, it's four of their top six highest paid players on the roster. Mm. Hayden, rough. when you mentioned someone like J.K. Dobbins was owning the backfield, and when he goes down, my brain immediately jumps to, is there a handcuff here? Is there one guy who steps up? We saw Justice Hill get two goal line carries, but Gus Edwards also gets eight carries. Do you think it just gets split up after that? I think it's a pretty much a dead split. It's hard because the game was like basically out of hand in the second half here. They yeah. were very clear the Texans were not going to move the ball very much, but it was Justice Hill 19 snaps, Gus Edwards 15. I think we know just knowing these two players where they win. One's a space back in Justice Hill. One is going to run between the tackles here, but I think it was J.K. Dobbins, the first 18 snaps of the game, he was on the field for 16 of them. So just a brutal run out for J.K. Dobbins, who shredded Ohio State, has had flashes in the NFL, and you go torn ACL plus with torn Achilles, you're not going to secure the bag after that. It's a really tough break for, for J.K. Dobbins, and I fear that we're not going to have somebody that's going to like be an RB2. I'm guessing Gus Edwards in positive game strips, and then Justice Hill if the Ravens are struggling because their offensive line is now uh, looking pretty rough. Okay. Did C.J. Stroud in his debut run into the buzzsaw that is the Baltimore Ravens defense? He did. The offensive line uh, was pretty bad for the Houston the <laughs> Texans. They have three of their starters uh, on injured reserve here. It was just C.J. Stroud, quite frankly, running for his life. I will say this. The box score is not going to look nice. The consistency will not look nice for C.J. Stroud. But if you go back and watch this game, you see, see, you see somebody that could actually move around the pocket, run for a couple uh, first downs here and there. A gamer was making a lot of accurate throws, but really you can just see this is like a rookie playing in a, with a lot of players that aren't really NFL caliber players, but somebody that looked way more comfortable than what we saw in preseason week one. Like He looked like somebody that's going to figure it out in the NFL. Will that mean anything for fantasy? Probably not. The full-time players, we had Robert Woods, Nico Collins, and Noah Brown. Full-time players, Dalton Schultz was a full-time player. The one problem for us in fantasy, Damian Pierce ran a route on 23 of 59 dropbacks. That's basically the split that he had last year. It turns out it was Mike Boone getting out there. Mike Boone didn't have a great day, wow. in my opinion. Uh, neither did Devin Singletary. But we need either C.J. Stroud and his offense are really get things going with the offensive line uh, basically in shatters, or we need Damian Pierce to catch more passes out there. To me, he's probably going to be a little bit more of like a low end RB two uh, for now, at least. And I was hoping he was going to be an upside RB two. That's concerning Daigle because at least I thought, Hey, the Texans offense can't be as bad as it was last year. Then all obviously all the offensive line injuries hit. And I mean, he's a long run of seven, <laughs> Um, he, he and, does get three targets, but like when you're really good running back is only able to get a long run of seven, it's, it's very different than like, let's say the Atlanta Falcons last year who struggled throwing the ball, but at least they had maulers up front that you could be successful running the, the football. And it just doesn't seem like the Texans are there right now. Singletary had four first half carries too. So he was involved before garbage time as well, yeah. at least in terms of take it soaking up that early down roll. So that's 
absolutely worrisome too. On the other side of the ball, I was kind of looking towards do the Ravens actually follow suit with training camp reports and pass their running backs more. But we had two targets for J.K. Dobbins, which at the end of the day turned out to be Lamar targeting their running backs at a 9% rate. Nothing to look at whatsoever. So we still think that Zay Flowers, who, as we mentioned, only two players today finished with a 40% target share. Flowers was the leading one with 47.5% of the team's targets. Like We think the offense just runs through him, and that's pretty awesome. Yeah, all those uh, running back reception targets that we were talking about in this offense, I think just basically went to Zay Flowers. A lot of the schemed up stuff that you're talking about going to just, quite frankly, a better player. Zay Flowers, his ADOT, 2.6 yards downfield. So basically treated as a gadget player. Like, Debo Samuel's not the right version of this, but like we're in that kind of ballpark of of a wide receiver. All right, heading on up to the NFC North. Packers versus Bears. Packers win this one 38 to 20. And man, it was an Aaron Jones start and an Aaron Jones finish. Uh, He got four or five uh, carries to open this game. Looked very, very good. Then basically was unused for the rest of the first half. And that meant the Packers only went into halftime up 10 to 6. And then it felt like, at least from watching, Matt LaFleur looked himself in the mirror during halftime and said, guys, Christian Watson's out. A.J. Dillon looks like he's running in quicksand every time he touches the football. We got to allow this to flow through Aaron Jones. And they open with about six straight touches, including a 51-yard screen pass that he takes to the house on a throwback. And he was the most electric player on, again, 86 receiving yards, 41 rushing yards. And that was in less than three quarters because after that, he goes down with a hamstring issue that they were trying to work out on the sideline. Um, Some quick notes on the Packers real quick. Uh, Romeo Dobbs did have two touchdowns, four receptions, 26 yards. Uh, The touchdown was a contested grab, beautiful placement by Jordan Love. Love had an up and down day. But, man, the dude was lights out on third down. Um, He had an 18-yard strike to Jaden Reed. There was other opportunities. I believe he went something like 9 of 14 for 126 yards on third down today. So if he just keeps that up and irons out some mistakes throughout the game, then uh, Jordan Love showed, I think, some real poise and command in this game. Every time I looked up, it seemed like Jordan Love was throwing across his body and across the field to a wide open player. And I was thinking, how did this just happen? Yeah, I mean, some of that, like there was this chaotic play where he got the snap, dropped it, spun around. It was an awesome leak pattern, which I think we saw from Luke Musgrave in the preseason. They ran mm-hmm. again here. They've run, The Bears have run it with Cole Komet in the past for a touchdown. Uh, because of that, he had to throw up his back foot. Luke Musgrave, maybe he's still learning how to fit in his body and operate his limbs, uh, does a spinning catch and falls down where he could have walked in for a score. But he does in the day. Hey, more than Isaiah likely, four targets, three receptions and 50 yards. And then, yeah, I mean, Jane Reed left for a bit of time, came back too, but two receptions, 48 yards for him. Um, I, I am excited if both can get healthy now that both are injured, but an Aaron Jones and Christian Watson dynamic I mean, I was honestly a bit down on Aaron Jones heading into this year because of just the relationship he had in the receiving game with Aaron Rodgers and how that really propelled him despite playing, you know, anywhere from 52 to 56 from the snaps over the last few years. But still, on just two catches, 
he was clearly the most electric player on this offense. And again, I want to repeat that whenever A.J. Dillon touches the football, he should not be doing it. He just looks like he can't move out there at this time. Yeah, was there any ancillary pieces that looked apart? Because we could play worst case scenario. Christian Watson did not seem very close to playing this game. I would guess it's probably a couple weeks away from yeah. playing if this Aaron Jones injury is problematic. Somebody's got to go there. I was looking at it. Luke Musgrave ran the most routes, 23 of 30. Uh, I know that he fell down. Um, even with that, still finished with the second most yards on the week among tight ends somehow at 50. Uh, that's the state of the position. Did... Jaden Reed, Luke Musgrave, somebody else step up in any way, or is it just like A.J. Dillon was so bad that he was distracting? Yeah, I mean, Dobbs, again, had some moments, especially in tight areas. And, I mean, it seems like he has a second-year confidence from him. I don't want to walk down narrative street, but he was barking in, you know, Bears defenders' faces. Um, I do want to add that David Bakhtiari, like, didn't practice all summer long and steps in and looks awesome at left tackle and is also getting down the field um, in that regard. And, look, 245 passing yards and three touchdowns might not sound like a lot, but we saw some guys throw 44 times and hit those numbers. And Jordan Love did it on just 27 attempts. Uh, again, it did feel like LaFleur kind of figured out what to do at halftime and, and kind of reset himself. And really the 20 points by the Bears is a bit fluky because they were getting boat raced in the second half. And it, it comes back to, look, Justin Fields early on was showing some promise. He was showing some moments of, hey, he was getting pressured by, I think, this improved Packers defense and was able to escape them and run. But in the end of the day, man, he still gets sacked four times. He still throws an awful interception. He has another fumble on a third or fourth down that he was trying to run for it. Daigle, man, Justin Fields still has that innate, I'm not going to call it a skill. I'm going to call it this personality trait where he, you know, bad plays, he turns them into awful plays. Way too often. And I know it's just one game, but this is carried with him now through two plus seasons in the NFL. And we unfortunately did not get his number one receiver getting number one targets because DJ Moore, even his two targets and a 5% target share today, as you noticed, came to start the second quarter. And then after that drive, it was done. We didn't see him again, basically. So that's also certainly concerning. Darnell Mooney at the end after that touchdown cast catch. Uh, limped off the field so we also don't know his status we'll keep an eye on that but yeah not a good showing no and look the running back snaps I think Mike Clay tweeted them out they're going to look very even uh, Cleo mm-hmm. Herbert 25 snaps Deontay Foreman 21 snaps Roshan Johnson 21 put a massive asterisk next to those Roshan Johnson snaps because they all happened when this team was down, you know, about 38 to 16 or whatever it was at one point. Um, Khalil Herbert was the dude early on. Um, in fact, he even had three receptions on five targets. Some of those are screens and they were very successful. Um, but this Bears offensive line, I think, is still gelling. And look, I'm going to point to this Packers unit again, as much as we're going to utilize still in this early part of the season, the defense and how weak it was. Hayden, we talked about this heading into the season. They have a lot of pieces. They've invested so much. Guys like Rashawn Gary are, are back from injury. This Packers team and this defense, I think, could be a sneaky top six, top seven unit this season. Would not be surprised. They have a true alpha corner one, and then they have depth at edge rushers, and it's been a premium spot for them for a couple of years now. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever been on vacation after a long day of activities or sightseeing? You have a night in room service bathrobes, and television or movies. 
And when you're in a foreign country, you scroll Netflix or Hulu or whatever streaming service you have, and you realize that the library of content there is so much larger than it is in the United States. You start a new show, a new series, and when you get back home, you realize you now have to find that on a different service or pay for it in a different way. That is where Surfshark comes in. It's a VPN service that lets you virtually travel the world with a tap of a finger. You can go to Spain, Canada, Costa Rica to watch the content available in those countries. So you can try Surfshark today, totally risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. And get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals slash underdog or enter promo code underdog for three extra months for free. You heard me right. Three extra months for free. That is surfshark.deals slash underdog. All right. Let's keep it going. Hayden, we'll circle back to you with uh, maybe the team of the preseason. Hopefully they hung that banner prior to this one because they got demolished today. 49ers versus Steelers. So let's start right there. It was just a mauling of the defensive line versus the offensive line for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Kenny Pocket or Kenny Pickett uh, did not feel comfortable in the pocket. Uh, had a couple picks uh, as well. Uh, Deontay Johnson fell down for an interception early on, and then Deontay Johnson, sadly, probably the storyline for the Steelers' offense. Uh, leaves with a hamstring injury. He's running at full speed, grabs at his back of his hamstring. Uh, I'm not a doctor, but it looked like one of those where you can anticipate him to miss some time. Uh, it was so bad in the second half that I basically didn't watch this game. Jalen Warren and Najee Harris were splitting time uh, early on, but it just really did not uh, matter at all. Pat Fryermuth, he took a huge shot to the chest, uh, and then he scored a touchdown, but really the Steelers' offense couldn't do anything it's it's really hard to parse through like how much of that is like the 49ers which is like one of the probably five defenses that i think truly moves the needle or how much was it matt canada running the same type of stuff and then having not any explosive players um out there the alan robinson wasn't moving the needle for me they kept throwing the ball like they had like hayward targeted a couple times it just looked really unorthodox for uh kenny pickett so uh, I'm guessing next week will be a lot better because they're not playing the 49ers, but it was definitely uh, looking a little bit like the 2022 season. Just like we wanted to know, uh, Allen Robinson leading this team in receiving yards with five receptions and 64 yards. I mean, I don't even know if you said the score. It was 30 to 7. Mm-hmm. 30 to 7 at the end of the day. Um, was Brock pretty dealing? And this was a mo- like Brandon Ayuk. Maybe the projections every single week do not look good, but he has the talent to be one of the true model breakers each week. And today on eight targets, eight receptions, 129 yards and two scores. Yeah, I think he had probably the catch of the day, just very clearly man coverage down the sideline and goes up and just mosses. The defender also uh, put Pat Peterson on his booty in the end zone for his uh, first touchdown of the game. He looked like a complete difference maker. I will say the other person that was absolutely popping was Christian McCaffrey and like oh, yeah. it was not like the fancy Christian McCaffrey stuff. They didn't even have to get to that bag because the game was so out of hand, but they would just get under center and just let Christian McCaffrey run up the middle. And like, we're talking spin moves, perfect vision, long speed. He did not look like a 28 year old running back. If you had any of those concerns, he did not split time with Elijah Mitchell at all. This was all Christian McCaffrey. And then the touchdowns ended up going to Brandon Ayuk because he looks like a player that can definitely win 
down the field in isolation, but really this was Christian McCaffrey dominating and uh, the Steelers defense really couldn't get going. So Brock Brady made some plays like uh, out of structure a, a little bit, but really it was just McCaffrey looking like a superstar and then Ayuk looking like somebody that could take uh, a leap this year. I did see Patrick Peterson, of course, who got the seventh most guaranteed money of any quarterback in free agency, basically be the target. That was mm-hmm. the play for the 49ers was who was on Patrick Peterson. Oh, it's Brandon Ayuk again. That's where we're going every single drop back. And Hayden, this is one of those blowouts that you, even the report that we got from rap sheet prior to the game of, Hey, Jalen Warren's going to eat into Najee Harris's snaps. You can't probably even replicate this distribution because the team only had 10 carries at the end of the day and 31 passing attempts. uh, And they were just getting blown out. Well, you're not going to start Jalen Warren if the Steelers offense looks like this either. Even if he is splitting the carry. So yeah, it's, it's, it's not looking good for Najee Harris based off of that report, based off how this offense works. I'm not willing to throw out this game, but if the Steelers look much better next week against a less potent defense, I would also not be surprised, but we're without Deontay Johnson right now. Like George Pickens, like, you got to learn to be the number one in like the traditional ways. And you, Matt Canada, you got to also let George Pickens try to run those type of routes. Well, and George Pickens had an awesome sideline grab again. That was way out of bounds. It's like, sweet. Here's the highlight reel. Who yeah. gives a shit? It wasn't inbounds. And once again, it doesn't count for us. Like every single time, every single time. Okay. Daigle, let's circle back to you. Another shocker to me, one of the team's most or league's high powered offenses with the, maybe two most expensive quarterbacks in the league Bengals versus Browns a game determined by heavy mist as the Browns won as I vamp and look for the score 24 to three four to three yes Hayden I found it uh and the Bengals failing everyone practically uh Joe Burrow has made it known in the past that he actually hates wearing gloves. And by the second quarter, after missing a couple slants, like just thrown behind T. Higgins and noticeably losing grip on football a couple plays, trying to scramble and then just dropping the ball outright, even he went and put a glove on. He had been done with it by then. He failed to complete a single pass over 10 yards today. That's how bad Joe Burrow and the Bengals are. And meanwhile, it's hard to take anything from it because at the same time on the other side of the ball, Watson was constantly wiping his hands off between plays, was carrying a towel around, had two sloppy deep throws early on, and both would have been Marquise Goodwin touchdowns as well as they used him to get downfield and he did actually separate. So overall, that's kind of what it came down to. Amari Cooper, even in the first half, slipped at one point. We thought he injured his knee. Other players slipping all over the ball. Nick Chubb, this is the first time that he had over four – he had – one game with at least four targets last year, and he had that game today with six targets, I believe. And I don't even know how much to attribute that to his role because it was such a shallow depth of target. I genuinely think it looked like Watson was scrambling and they couldn't get anything going downfield, so they just tried to play it safe given the rain and miss. So overall, that's what we're kind of looking at right now. Watson was hit, the offensive line struggling, especially because later on in the game, they lost all-pro right tackle Jack Conklin. He got carted Mm -hmm. off. Sounds like a very serious injury too, so something to look towards and see what's happening there but overall I don't know what to expect it's a double-edged sword for Deshaun Watson because on one time he again looked terrible uh even his interception when you go back and watch it it was more like Anthony Richardson not understanding his arm strength or how quickly NFL defenders can cover and trying to squeeze one in 
but it was so bad that it looked like he just missed the linebacker underneath and, of course, jumps up and just intercepts it. It was terrible. But at the same time, for fantasy, now we're playing a different game mentally, he still got there because the rushing yards. Last year in those six starts, he averaged six carries per game, the eighth most among all quarterbacks. Today, two design runs and over 40 yards rushing and a touchdown because no matter what happens to the air, he still gets you there. So something we'll keep on looking towards. And honestly, I just don't know how much to take away from these offenses given the environment. And that's so brutal because we already had Deshaun Watson last year. The splits were so weather uh, dependent, mm-hmm. hard, to, hard to parse through. And then we had that again. Uh, I've saw a lot of tweets about the Joe Burrow tiny hands thing uh, because of the rains. And you, you seem to believe like that was actually impacting the game here. At first, it really did look like his calf was just tightened. It's a, it was almost as if he was scared to get hit. He was even looking frantic. He mentioned after the game to the media that uh, he said he needed the preseason reps. He mentioned that it was just so important to be out, it's so important to be out there warming up. And then he obviously missed the last six weeks with that injury. So mm-hmm. I do attribute it to every team just having to knock the rust off, even even though Watson did play in the preseason. Man, okay. I want to ask about some backup running backs because that's what we do on this show. Uh, on the Browns end, Nick Chubb gets 18 carries, goes for 106 yards. Jerome Ford gets 15 carries, 36 yards. Pretty sweet also that we get mm-hmm. Nick Chubb with four receptions. I think in 2020 to 2022, he had one total game of four receptions. And already in week one of this season, he has four receptions. And again, Probably that will be his usage since he had never had a double-digit target share in any season with Kareem Hunt. That may be his new role now, but I just don't know. I don't know if the targets were pounded there because that's his new role or if because they just couldn't get anything going downfield yeah. at all. Dagle, to your point, he ran 12 routes, Nick Chubb. So, yeah. so un- unfortunately, good. that could be just because of circumstances there. Jerome Ford also, I believe, had a pretty costly fumble in, in the red area too, so... Who knows? Weird okay. Game. Then let me ask about the Bengals. Since they worked in negative game script, mm-hmm. what I see is Joe Mixon getting five targets for three receptions. And then the quote unquote Samaje Piran role basically going to no one, where we get Chris Evans and Travion Williams both with two carries themselves. It still wasn't Mixon on third down roll. Not that he needs it. Oh. He still had a career high in targets per game last year without that third down roll. Only ran 22 routes on third down all last season. And today, Travion Williams, seven routes on third down. Chris Evans, four. Joe Mixon there at two. So still not the pass catching role. But again, as long as he's still out there for majority of the time and earning a uh, team high share of touches, like that's what we want. We, we have yeah. less competition, we think, without Samaji P. Ryan. So this is okay still. We just need a, a much more potent offense. Yeah, I mean, T. Higgins, zero, zero, zero on eight targets. A guy who it kind of sounds like is on his way out of Cincinnati because they're not going to pay him. Um, I mean, I think it's only natural for a human for that to wear on you. Not, you know, saying it's going to be this bad, but man, that's uh, just about worst case scenario for a second round pick or third round pick in many leagues out there. And now the Bengals get the Ravens next week. I mean, when Burrow throws for a career low at any level in passing yards, like these are the things that happen. Like 82 yards can't get many players there. Mm-hmm. Oof. All right. My final game, we each do three in this, so that equals nine, was another debut of a rookie quarterback, the number one overall pick, uh, and a pretty significant loss. Panthers versus Falcons. And 24 to 10. And after all summer from Arthur Smith being promised, that we are going to get balance 
in the force and a balanced offense. Desmond Ritter goes out there and attempts 18 passes, 115 yards for one touchdown. And man, that is actually kind to how it started this off because through the first half, Cal Pitts, Drake London combined for fewer catches than what Desmond Ritter had because he caught his own pass on his first attempt of the game. And it makes sense kind of when we zoom out and not listen to maybe a little bit too much hype about this Falcons team while they did win about their offense and what Arthur Smith said, when you really just focus in on how successful their team was last year, focusing on the ground game, having a thousand yard rusher coming from a fifth round pick in Tyler Algier, who by the way, had 15 carries 75 yards, two scores. And then they go and spend in the top 10 overall pick on Bijan Robinson, who makes an electric play for the first touchdown of this game on a catch um, behind the line of scrimmage as a slot motion man makes Frankie Louvu whiff stays up on contact from two more Panthers defenders and finds himself in the end zone on a 17 yard gain. He catches six passes for 27 yards on 10 carries for 56 stands out to me. We know that you took Bijan the first round, but I will be watching moving forward that they were, I don't know, two series, one series that had two carries inside the 10 and Tyler Algier got both of those, including, you know, two goal line scores. Yeah, to me, this is good news, bad news for everybody here. Good news, B. John Robinson looks amazing. Bad news is, like what we feared, that Tyler Algier is trusted and a very consistent goal line rusher. So that's what we saw here. B. John Robinson did run around in 18 of 24 dropbacks. That's good news. Uh, Drake London was a full-time player as well. Kyle Pitts, half the snaps, but did run around in 22 of 24 dropbacks. The question thing that we have to really wrap our head around, they ran 51 total plays on offense. Yeah. That is classic Falcon stuff. And the reason why is because Desmond Ritter is no bueno. And like that has to change. Uh, otherwise, we're just going to bank on Drake London, Bijan Robinson, and Kyle Pitts, their talent taking them there. And in the meantime, I think that they're going to love Tyler Algier because that's what Arthur Smith wants to do in that big mustache. They averaged two play two passes per drive. That's the Falcons offense at the same time. It, I works, am, it works on one level. Like, you know, his, his job is to win. Do. And so I understand it, but man, we were promised something different. I do think the Bijan peripherals, maybe not mid first round level. Everyone's looking for, but they're still good. They're still just okay, and fine. He looked great. Like, a, a team high 33% target share plus 10 carries. Like that's, yeah. that's fine. What this really does, as you mentioned, Hayden is just get Algier there every single week too. The only concern is once quarter Patterson, the Joker is back. What happens? Whose touches are getting eaten? Uh, Cause it's coming. We're going to use all three for Kyle Pitts. It's, it's just the same stuff. It's the same bullshit. That's the issue. It was three targets. It doesn't matter about the routes run, 91% on dropbacks, because he still had the same 15.5-yard depth of target. They use them one way, coin toss catches, and he better yeah. catch them. Otherwise, he's a dud in your lineup. It's the same well, thing every week. I'm, 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 trust me, I've been on the same path as you on Kyle Pitts this summer. Hayden knows that. Again, we go back to nothing is schemed open for these downfield pass mm -hmm. catchers and Kyle Pitts and Drake London. And that's a huge issue with like giving us a floor of even targets. I'm not even saying receptions and yards on a weekly basis. I'm saying targets because if this continues how it is, yes, the Falcons can win games. And yes, Bijan's going to make some electric plays. But I mean, Drake London gets one target and they didn't really need to force anything to him. You know, Kyle Pitts comes down with a nice defensive pass interference catch down the field. But other than that, you know, that was 34 of his 44 yards in this game. And 
it comes back to, as Hayden said, while they propped up Desmond Ritter and talked him up, there was a third and five with this game super close, and they just elect to run Tyler Algier off left tackle, and that speaks volumes to what you think about your quarterback. All right, I want you guys to guess how many air yards did the Falcons have today? Yards downfield. Uh, so they had 115 passing yards. I would guess that it was uh, 72. <laughs> You're right on. It's 70. 70 air yards in an NFL game? That is unserious football. Uh, Arthur Smith, congrats on the win. You got there. It was a very fun ground game. I'm going to love the All-22 there. But Desmond Ritter, man, he was under pressure so often, which is yeah. concerning because it's supposed to be a really good Falcons offense. I'm not sure if that's a bad offensive line thing or if that's a bad thing for Desmond Ritter and his feel for the game. That's the path, by the way, if Desmond Ritter turns the ball over at all, that's the path where a 5-0, and 6-0 and Falcons team, just because their schedule is so soft, still benches him for Taylor Heineke. Ooh, uh, mm-hmm. next up for the Falcons after this, speaking of their schedule, it is the Packers, then the Lions, and the Jaguars. So those are three pretty difficult games. Um, winnable, but but difficult. And yeah, to your point, Brian Burns in the first like two series had a sack and a half and a tackle for loss and a forced fumble. Like he was a man of the mission. And anytime he was lined up, cause he was flipping between both sides lined up against Caleb McGarry. He was power rushing him into Desmond Ritter's lap. So I think it was part of his play in Desmond Ritter, but also the pressure that this team was getting was forcing these decisions. Okay. Let's talk about the Panthers offense. Um, at the end of the day, Bryce Young throws for 146 yards on 20 of 38 attempts one touchdown to Hayden Hurst on like a RPO type route towards the goal line. And then two interceptions that were directly thrown over the middle of the field. Third down, I believe for both to Jesse Bates. Um, They weren't primary reads. Bryce Young was kind of going through his progressions, landing on the middle and Jesse Bates, who won the highest paid safeties in the league has been doing this back with the Bengals with veteran quarterbacks too, driving on the football and basically knowing who he was going to target. Um, the big issue with this Panthers offense, man, is they have zero juice, (laughs) like zero juice. Jonathan Mingo has the most juice out of everyone, but there were times when Bryce either moving or staying in the pocket would have four five, six seconds. And just no one was open, even on secondary moves. And that is a huge concern. And we're already here in week one with it. Yeah, I'm looking at his time to throw 3.1 seconds. That's a long time of holding the ball and not what you want someone like Bryce Young's stature to be doing. Beyond the the looks, did, did Bryce Young look like he was going to be making some plays by his own? Or is this just like, hey, I'm used to people getting open and then like got pretty unlucky throwing the ball over the middle? No, I, I thought he did a really good job of maneuvering the pocket, trying to make something happen. He had some throwaways as well. You know, he had a 16-yard scramble on top of it. But what was fascinating is the the first drive that was scripted when the Panthers got it had some really cool and funky stuff. Mm-hmm. Like even the running back usage in that, it started with Miles Sanders. Then they got LaVisca Chenault like three times in the backfield, some on screens and some as a true running back. They were rotating running backs nearly like every single play in that opening drive. And they failed to convert on a fourth down, which by the way, a fourth and one was handed off to Chuba Hubbard, which makes zero sense. Um, then after that, it kind of got back to normal and a little bit stale where nothing was really being manufactured out, outside of it. So really good first drive, nothing interesting or positive 
outside of it. And again, at the end of the day, that leaves us with Hayden Hurst with five receptions for 41 yards and a score with Adam Thielen, who had an ankle injury heading into this one. It makes sense why Hayden Hurst would do well because they maneuver in the same area of the field. And then Miles Sanders. Yes, he does finish with 18 carries, 72 yards, does finish with six targets, four receptions, 26. I think at least three of those receptions were at the end of the game when they were just checking it down. Mm. That's a lot of usage, but the ceiling of this offense just isn't there right now. It's a win, it's a winning argument for both sides. Who thought Miles Sanders may be a three touch back, three down back? He wasn't. But he also, wasn't even okay. in this one. Yeah, but yeah. I will say it because the weapons elsewhere are so bad. They have point. no choice. They have to throw the ball to the running backs. Like to me, that's that's just like a matter of watching this team. So Miles Sanders is not going to have the snap share that we were hoping for, um, and maybe that changes because Chuba Hubbard and Lavisca they get phased out of here, but. Even if Miles Sanders is not a full-time player, they have no choice. They have to use him a bunch. Yeah, and it's a tough road for the Panthers after this. It's the Saints. It's the Seahawks. I'm it's nervous. The Vikings. It's the Lions. It's the Dolphins. I mean, this team could easily be 0-6. <laughs> it's bad. Uh, it's rough. Okay, those are the nine games that we covered on Sunday. For the rest, if you're new here, we basically just ask questions for the games we did not get to focus on. Uh, we'll go to a game that I had the, in the corner of my eye during the one o'clock slate, and it stays in the NFC. Buccaneers versus Vikings. Bucks win this one 22-17. I would say a rough first half for Baker Mayfield, but the gamesmanship, the ego, the, the aura that whatever Baker Mayfield brings to whatever new team's it played its part in this one in the second half where he was making some big time throws, having some big time scrambles towards the end of it, finishing 21 of 34, 173 and two touchdowns. And when he plays like this against a defense that's hyper aggressive and leaves some of their cornerbacks who are not talented and are mediocre in islands against the likes of Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, things happen where Evans gets 66 yards and a score and Chris Godwin also gets five receptions and 51 yards. This looks like a classic Bucks game of how I'm envisioning this team. Uh, I think Mike Evans could still play a little bit. He made some big boy catches in this game. Baker Mayfield at least is going to be garbage time throwing the ball and letting his guys have a chance. And then I saw a stat uh, from Next Gen Stats. Rashad White had uh, negative 39 yards over expected. It was the fourth worst rushing game uh, over the last, uh, I think the last season as well. Um, Sean Tucker only mixed in a little bit, but this offensive line is not good. But this shows you just how bad this Vikings defense could be if, they, if the, a team like the Bucs can go up in Minnesota and, and win this game that had no business winning. Yeah. The 31% target share for Mike Evans, certainly encouraging given that he was going two, three rounds behind Chris Godwin at times. So if he can dominate this new offense and targets, that's how he gets there after a disappointing season outside of week 17 last year. I mean, it felt like the Vikings should be up a touchdown, 10 points, two touchdowns at points in this game. And the Bucks just like hung around and were able to, again, win it with some big and like Brian Flores. It, this can work, but he sends the house at times and leaves his cornerbacks on islands with this talent at that spot against, again, veterans have been doing it for so long. That's who he is. He is not going to change, but it came back to bite him here. Cousins was forced fumbled 
twice in the first 10 minutes. He had three turnovers in the first half. It really came down to their offensive line, which is how the, the Bucks stuck around because both Christian Darisol and Garrett Bradbury were injured in the middle of this game. Um, so we'll have to see how they fare moving forward because obviously that also injured offensive line didn't help the running game get going whatsoever mm-hmm. as both Alexander Madison and Ty Chandler combined for 14 carries and 34 yards rushing. Yeah. Last night I had with the Vikings, uh, Jordan Addison was not a full-time player. It was KJ Osborne who ran around 45 of 48 dropbacks. Addison, 32 of 48, but at the same time, Addison gets home because he's good at the game. Six targets, long touchdown, 39-yarder down the scene. That's kind of the role that they're anticipating. And then Justin Jefferson, like I never saw anybody tweet about him, nothing like that. And then you just refresh the box score, 150 yards. Oh, I think he had 128 in the first half. Like he was yeah. going off and this team just really struggled Ad- in the second half. Addison's touchdown was also busted coverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, still still a good route runner, but yeah. definitely the Bucks just got lost in their secondary because they were they were bracketing and doubling Jefferson on the other side at that time. All right. Another game. Sending on over to Tennessee Titans, New Orleans Saints. Titans versus Saints. This one was really ugly. <laughs> there was not a whole lot going on. I would say one of the biggest storylines here was Derrick Henry and Tyje Spears. I need to go study this, but they were in a rotation. Um, Tyje didn't get the volume um, ultimately, but he played a lot more snaps and anticipated. And started. Yeah, it was. I, I don't know what was happening. I don't know if Derrick Henry had to go to the bathroom in the first quarter or what, what the deal was, but... That was a very odd situation that's worth monitoring. Um, DeAndre Hopkins, 13 targets here. The snaps that I did watch of this game, it didn't look like there's a lot of separation there. And Ryan Tannehill made some pretty uh, horrific mistakes, uh, only completed 16 of 34 passes. But the Titans offense just looked like an offense that could have a lot of issues. And I'm sure a lot of those issues do start up front, one of the worst offensive lines in the league. They were under duress a lot, the Titans were, but... Ryan Tannehill, man, uh, it can't look this bad every week. He had the white in his eyes staring down war on the other side of the field. Uh, even like a flea flicker at one time, Chickaconka was running wide open for a touchdown, and Tannehill just missed him downfield. There were so many bad throws in this game. It was inexplicable. And they have an early bye. That was sort of the concern here for the Titans offense was if you're going into your bye in week seven and you're just not good because your defense is just getting throttled like the Saints did today, uh, especially deep in the secondary because all you're doing is allowing explosives. Like what happens? Because this is probably the final year of Ryan Tannehill's deal. And right now, this first game, my word, that was not a good showing. Hayden, we'll talk about it in stats versus film, but talk to me through Chico Cuanco's routes here. 33 of 43, which is better than um, I think that's Three about kind of what we were yeah. expecting. But the, if the Titans are bad on offense, then it's not going to matter. They're going to try to get the ball to DeAndre Hopkins, Derrick Henry, and Traylon Burks first. Uh, Derrick Henry ran around on 11 of 43 dropbacks, played less than half the snaps. I will say, bold prediction, Derrick Henry trade candidate at the at the deadline, like, like Daigle was saying. If this team is bad, they're not using him already. His final year of his deal, why wouldn't you try to trade Derrick Henry? I mean, maybe we'll, and maybe quotes have already come out, but it was shocking to see those snap counts in the first quarter between Tajay Spears and mm-hmm. Derrick Henry. Okay. On the Saints' end, we knew that Chris Olave is good at the game, and he was running wide open over the intermediate portions of the field, eight receptions, 112 yards, and 10 targets. But man, the yards per route run king, Rashid Shahid, pops up here, six targets, five receptions, 89 yards, and a score himself. And even Michael Thomas, man. Like, it's good to see him back with eight targets, five receptions, and 61 yards. Yeah, I'm curious when I'm watching this game, but going into it, 
Uh, the Titans have been a really big pass funnel for the last couple of years. Their defensive line is awesome. Their secondary has been pretty bad. And we at least saw the Saints throw the ball 33 times, only run it 27 times. And a lot of that's like kind of Taysom Hill, just ridiculousness and all that type of stuff. But I'm glad that the Saints appear to have tried to pass the ball more this year than they did last year. And as mentioned at the top, Derek Carr led all quarterbacks to the 12 and a half yard depth of target today, too. So lots of downfield shots, whether that's his new role in this offense or if it's because the Titans secondary was just leaking so much, something we'll find out soon enough. But I had wondered, like you, uh, loving Rashid Shahid's limited stats, I had yeah. wondered how they were going to feed him in this offense. Like, where do the targets come from? But if this is how he's used, that's awesome because he's the kind of player who's a weekly flex option if this is what he gets. All right, AFC West, one more time. Raiders versus Broncos. Didn't see it. <sighs> Didn't care to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did see Russell Wilson looking a little bit more mobile, but did miss a lot of throws. And I, I don't know what up, what's up with that. Um, Javante Williams played a fair amount here, um, looking at it, 13 carries. Samaji Piran did get loose for a 12-yard run here. Uh, Cortland Sun got bailed out uh, with a touchdown here, only had five targets on 34 attempts here, but it was a good route in the end zone. I believe Greg Dulcich left with a leg injury as well. Yeah, I, I didn't see this at all either. Um uh, pretty amazing, though. Jimmy Garoppolo, 20 of 26, 200 yards, two touchdowns. I want to go back and see how the airs he was attacking versus, obviously, where Derek Carr was attacking last year. That was a big talking point. And, I mean, Jacoby Myers totally outperforms Devontae Adams, at least in the stat sheet. Nine receptions, 81 yards, two scores, compared to Devontae Adams, six for 66. Uh, look, not to rewind it here, but if Juju Smith-Schuster becomes like a part-time player at best, for the New England Patriots, they prioritized him and gave him more money than Jacoby Myers and the Raiders. That was kind of like the secondary shoe to fall of that. And Jacoby could easily outperform Juju this season. I will say Jacoby left, got hit really hard in the middle, very clearly some type of concussion issue. I hope he's okay, but I would not expect Jacoby to be ready to go for next week. Russell Wilson also has now made three starts without Daniel Hackett going back to last year when he was fired and he's finished as the QB two QB three. And as of Sunday night, QB 12 in those three games. Wow. Uh, Cortland Sutton does grab four for 32 and a score. Greg Dulcich, I think left in the third quarter for the remainder of the game and everyone's favorite rookie Marvin Mims, just two targets, two receptions and nine yards. Okay. One final game. Here it is. Cardinals versus Commanders. I forgot this was played. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm convinced this was just run by uh, Chat GPT. <laughs> yes, the Commanders beat the Cardinals twenty to sixteen. Um, I guess my only big takeaway from this is Brian Robinson, both in a opportunity standpoint and on the field standpoint, totally outplaying Antonio Gibson. Who? Let's mm -hmm. remind people, Daigle was drafted half around around before where B-Rob was. At the end of the day, B-Rob gets 19 carries for 59 yards and also catches the touchdown pass on one grab for seven yards. 
Gibson also had a fumble, which were one year removed from ha- having six oh, yeah. under Ron Rivera um, inside Washington's own 20. And remember, whenever J.D. McKissick went down for the year last season, it was Brian Robinson who, when healthy, then averaged 18 and a half touches per game. This week, 18 carries, just dominated compared to Antonio Gibson's three and ran more routes than Gibson as well. So honestly, just the team's RB1. It's very clear. And that was how it was down the stretch last year. So I don't know why people would be surprised here. Sam Howell looked like a pretty up and down game. And then yeah. Terry McLaurin, I know he was like a full participant in practice, but if you were watching some of the practice reps, it probably was not himself out there. So very curious to see how he looked on tape here. They, they almost got upset by the Cardinals. No, it, I was about to say it's a very lucky occurrence for Sam Howell to start with the Arizona Cardinals because again, an interception also a loss fumble. The Cardinals defense might've been the most shocking unit of this group because they were really wreaking havoc on the commander's offense for long stretches. Um, But just offensively, like there's no upside here, man. Marquise Brown with five targets, three receptions, 28 yards, you know, James Connor shore. He does get 14 carries for 62. He does add another five catches for eight yards. That's an RB two status though. I mean that it's just what like, it's just an unwatchable team unless like, cause this defense is not going to play this level every single week. No, but we, I would say we, the, the, the commander's defense is legit. Um, and James Conner ran or was out there for 52 of 62 snaps. He's going to get yeah. the ball. Like, I mean, is James Conner the most disgusting RB 19 just in weekly rankings? Watch. Like every single week. I think so for now. Yeah. Zach Ertz or Isaiah likely next week, Hayden. Well, Zach Ertz, 33 of 38 routes. Sad, sadly, uh, Trey McBride just, is I don't think I mean Zach Ertz over Kyle Pitts for sure. So yeah, let's go. Why not? <laughs> okay. And we will actually close out with a little bit of Thursday night football too. Obviously, the Lions beat the Kansas City Chiefs 21 to 20, an electric game. I wished a little bit a part of me wanted to see this Chiefs offense without Travis Kelsey to see what we got. And at the end of the day, it turned out to be MVS for 48 yards, uh Rasheed Rice, 29 yards. You know, Kadarius Tony dropping way more passes and losing this game for the team. And maybe the worst performance at all was Sky Moore with total Absolutely. goose eggs across the board. Um, it was so funny all summer to hear, well, you can draft the Chiefs wide receiver one at pick 89 or 100. No, I mean, you really can't. Like, there is not going to be one player, I firmly believe this now moving forward, that separates himself between this wide receiver grouping. I think they're going to try to get Justin Watson more on the field because he actually had a couple downfield targets, but like that's the that's the point we are with the Chiefs. Uh, Travis Kelsey, we got an update that they thought he broke his leg uh, in that wow. first game, and then it turns out just to be a deep bone bruise. I would consider him questionable to play uh, week two, and I don't think they're going to have an answer. I, maybe it's more Rasheed Rice and MVS and Justin Watson, but Sky Moore didn't do anything. Kadarius Tony got the most fantasy usage, like expected half PPR points, but obviously fumbled it away and then the rotation at running back was equally as disgusting uh with uh, Clyde Edwards starting mixing in uh Jarek McKinnon dropping passes on third downs Isaiah Pacheco mixing in not doing a whole lot there and uh I would say love Patrick Mahomes it was not one of his better games either he looked very frustrated with everybody I am going back to Noah Gray though who did lead the team in routes run uh if Kelsey's out totally fine okay let's close it with the Lions then um Running back usage was the talking point after this one. We did not see Dave Montgomery for the entire preseason. And in the end, he gets 21 carries for 71 yards and a score, a long run of eight yards. Uh, No receptions, no targets. 
Meanwhile, Jameer Gibbs, who people drafted much earlier, just seven carries for 42 yards, did have two receptions for 18 yards. I think there's two ways of talking about this, Hayden. Uh, one, do we think that this lasts? Or two, is this just from a week one Thursday night football island game? We know and have seen what Dave Montgomery does successfully. We know exactly where Jameer Gibbs does that successfully. And this is almost easing him in. Which side are you on? I think Jameer Gibbs will run more routes by default. He ran a route on nine of 37 dropbacks. That is pitiful for where we were drafting Jameer Gibbs. On the other hand, he looked very explosive. The problem with the David Montgomery stuff, if you drafted Jameer Gibbs, is Jared Goff led the NFL in play action yards under center. They were not giving Jameer Gibbs under center runs. It was a lot of design stuff. Almost every single one of David Montgomery's touches was hard-earned yards up the middle. And the reason why they have that is because their offensive line is good and because Jared Goff is good coming off of play action. You have to have David Montgomery. You don't have to have. The coaches think you have to have that type of setup. So I don't think David Montgomery's usage is going to go anywhere. And in fact, he ran around a 19 of 37 dropbacks. I think he'll eventually average two, three targets a game as well. So I would be pretty concerned for Jameer Gibbs. I would view him right now, like moving forward, like more close, like a fifth rounder. And I think David Montgomery is probably right next to him. Daigle. I agree with Hayden. He stole yeah. my thunder. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think it's black and white. Uh, Me like either. I'm, I'm a little worried about Gibbs, sure, but, you know, it's such a long game we're playing, and especially after Campbell's words about getting him more involved, uh, I'm still starting Montgomery next week, and I think there is absolutely still a path where both players can get there, as we kind of expected at the beginning of the season. I think that's all fair. It's also fair to say that when Jameer Gibbs did get the ball, he looked electric. He, I mean, looked so quick, so explosive, but... There, it, it was a well-organized and well-planned areas to use him. And I believe that is notable where it was all on the edge. And Hayden, you talked about this so much going back to his days at Alabama where he had like a dozen short yardage work carries and like very rarely was in there for pass pro as well. Mm-hmm. Look, for me, when you're facing a Steve Spagnolo defense, when you have hulking linebackers are going to run over your face – there's a reason why Dave Montgomery was in there for that pass game usage. It was for pass pro. And yes, everyone can make fun of DeMont for getting run over on that single one. It's clear that the coaching staff, Ben Johnson, Dan Campbell, trusted Dave Montgomery to be in that spot because that probably in their eyes would have happened more often if Jameer Gibbs was left as the personal pass protector of Jared Goff way more often. Yeah, I, I think I think this is more or less here to stay. I think Gibbs is going to get featured more as the season goes on, but I think David Montgomery's role in this offense is very key to the how their organization is set up to run. And yeah. it's basically what Jamal Williams is, except they think David Montgomery is better than Jamal Williams. And as Jamal Williams' little number one fan, David Montgomery is better than Jamal Williams. Yeah. And I actually think we'll get more receiving work from David Montgomery as the season goes along. Like, I would expect anywhere from two to three to four to five targets mm-hmm. as well. Um, it's a fun team, man. Yeah, good showing from Sam Laporta. Uh, 27 of 37 dropbacks. He did get subbed out for some two tight end looks as expected because he's an undersized guy, but he was out there in the route enough, and I think he has enough skills in an offense that's pretty desperate for targets. Josh Reynolds stepped up. Marvin Jones, man, brutal game for him. Brutal. Obviously, Amon Ra is going to get him, but 
I do think that you could do worse than Josh Reynolds if you're in like some crazy 16 team league or something like that. He's out there for most of the the snaps. Uh, they're not using uh, Khalif Raymond, so it's very interesting team. Especially because we don't know Jameson Williams' role even when he returns, since it was already a very bad showing before he got injured in the preseason. Yep. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it. Covered 14 games. Um, be sure to be on the lookout for our Stats versus Film show on Tuesday. And maybe, just as importantly, be sure to be on the lookout for John Daigle's work over at 4 for 4 and Betsperts. Daigle, what's your schedule this week? What's the weekly schedule in Daigle's world? A lot, but I think the most important thing is the waiver wire column. Monday afternoon, 5 p.m. Eastern. And then the show every Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. A quick little wrap-up. I'll even answer. I'll stick around and answer start-sick questions in the YouTube channel ahead of Monday Night Football. But the column will be out on 44.com Monday afternoon for everyone. Love that. And if uh, a little percentage off on a 4 for 4 package, we'll put that in the description down below so you can get little discount when you're checking out John Daigle's work. All right. Thank you to Voiceman Steve. Thank you to producer weaves for helping cut this up and make us sound great and thank you to all of you for tuning in to all these shows again we'll be back on tuesday have so much more content even more than last week ahead with uh some ex nfl players multiple in fact coming this week all right for daigle for hayden i'm josh up the villa we'll talk to y'all soon